0: Good morning. good morning, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. so good to see each and every one of you this morning, we're glad you're here, uh, see some new faces and visitors, I'm sure some family, we're so glad to have you if you're visiting us for the first time, and we want, you to, we want you to know that here at East LJ, we have been captivated by Christ, we have seen through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus, the glory of God in Jesus Christ. We've seen God's grace, His love, His mercy given to us freely uh, in Jesus Christ, and He has captivated us. We pray that you would see His beauty today and be captivated by Him as well. We want to invite you, uh, if you're here with us this morning or joining us via live stream, we want to invite you to join us in person tonight or via live stream for our Christmas eve candlelight communion service that'll be at five o'clock this afternoon so join us for that uh, special time of worship always a sweet time for our church family uh in worship on christmas eve so we'll look forward to that time this evening at five o'clock we're going to stand and take just a few minutes to greet one another find someone you don't know and introduce yourself and joe and the worship team or actually i'll bring us back together in just a few minutes Please remain standing as we read from God's Word. Galatians 4 verse 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were, were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. That is what Christmas is all about. And in God's love that caused Him to send His Son, we rejoice today amen? amen amen let's pray together father we praise you and we have come to adore our risen and reigning king we praise you father for your love and mercy given to us in christ father thank you that when we were not looking for a savior when we were your enemies you sent your son to make your enemies to be your children God, what grace, what mercy, what love is this. We praise you. And Father, this morning we want to pray for our neighbors and the nations around the world. Uh, Lord, we pray for those that we know, family maybe, that we'll be seeing today or tomorrow who need Christ, who need to to have a personal relationship with this one who's come to redeem. Father, how we pray that you make us faithful witnesses uh, and even... Now, as we have those opportunities, Lord, open hearts to trust you. Father, we pray for the nations that, God, you would continue to make the gospel run all over the world. Wherever those, especially where, those, uh, where there are those who have yet to hear the name of Jesus. Father, we pray that you would get the gospel to them. And Lord, this morning as we gather here, we want to pray for a number of families grieving this Christmas season. And Father, we, we just, our hearts go out, but we, we lift them up in prayer to you, the God of all comfort. Pray for the family of Jerry Bramlett, the family of Betty Waddell, the family of Joe Collins, the family of Trenton Johnson, and Lord, even this week, the family of Jim and, and Darla Dietz. Father, thank you that you are there with them. I pray, Father, for a real sense of your presence. I pray for your spirit's comfort. And Father, we thank you for the hope that many, if not all, these families have of uh, seeing their loved one again because they they knew the Lord Jesus. We praise you for that. Father, we want to lift up especially today uh, just several from our our list of sick folks. We pray for Chris Hanley. Uh, We lift up Angie and Larry Callahan. I pray for Frank Miller, battling COVID, and, and God, so many others uh, that we pray for week in and week out, and we just lift them each and every one up to you, Father. Thank you that you are the great physician. We pray for healing, uh, and we pray that you would uh, minister to them even in these, these days. Father, thank you for each one here. Thank you that, uh, Father, it is no accident, albeit it may be a holiday planned event, that each one's here. But God, thank you that you knew in advance. And God, you have a word you would speak to us today. You would meet with each of us today in a personal way. May you open our hearts to hear your voice. And by your spirit and through your word, meet each of us right where we are. Thank you that you come to us this morning full of grace and truth, full of love and mercy. And God, may we receive you even with an open heart full of faith and trust in you who are our only hope. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
1: Let's sing the first Noel. One year we sang about 12 verses of this song, and I'm not sure if that's all of them or not, but we're not going to do that this morning.
0: we praise you that you so love the world that you sent your son God became man that we might become the sons and daughters of God that we might be redeemed from our sin that we might be adopted through Jesus into the family of God we stand in awe of your plan of salvation, a plan, a way that we would have never dreamed up, a way of grace and mercy, and we praise your name. Open our eyes to see more, understand more about your coming, about what you've done for us in Christ this morning. And, Father, then move our lives in greater expressions of worship and surrender to you. Father, for any in the room today who don't know you, join us by a live stream who have yet to trust Christ. And I pray, Father, that today, even this Christmas Eve, Sunday, would be the day that they would trust Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Father, do what only you can do in our hearts as we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Give your attention to the screen for just a minute.
1: I was in another country recently and I was sitting outside a temple with uh, two other guys actually from different religions. They were talking about how all three of our religions were fundamentally the same, just kind of superficially different. Finally, I just I, I spoke up and I said, it's almost like you guys picture God or whatever you want to call him at the top of a mountain and we're all at the bottom of a mountain. I may take this path up and you may take this path up, but in the end we'll all be in the same place. And they smiled and they said, exactly, you understand. I look back at them and said, well, what if I told you that the God at the top of the mountain didn't wait for us to find our way up to him? He actually came down to where we are. And they said, well, that would be great. I said, this is the difference. What we find in the Bible is the story of a God who has not left us alone to try to find our way to him. He has come to us and he has made the way to himself through Jesus.
0: And no matter how hard we try, no matter how many different ways we come up with as human beings to climb the mountain to God, none of them will ever work because our best works don't undo the sin that we've all committed against the holy God. And God says he's not going to share his glory with anybody, that the only way to come to him is by his grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we read again in Galatians 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive, it's a gift, adoption as sons. During this Advent season, we celebrate the reality that the wait is over. The fullness of time has come. And God has sent his Son down into our world to show us the way to him. And Jesus himself is, as he himself said, the way. He's the truth we all need, and he's the life we all yearn for. We've been talking about, uh, as we think about Advent, as we think about the first coming of Christ and anticipate his, his second coming, we've been talking together about that phrase from Galatians 4 in the fullness of. Of time, You see, Christmas, the birth of the Savior of the world, was the perfectly timed fulfillment of God's plan to save a world of rebel sinners like you and me. It didn't just happen. It, 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 it wasn't an afterthought on the part of God. In the fullness of time, God sent His Son. Grace has always been in the heart of God. The Scriptures tell us even before time began as we've seen over the course of the last three weeks. God promised a Savior in the Garden of Eden right after Adam and Eve fell and and, and disobeyed God and sinned. In the pronouncement of the curse was the pronouncement of the gospel for the very first time. God said, one of the seed of woman will crush your head, Satan. And we know that's exactly what Jesus did uh, two Sundays ago, we looked at the reality that, that through Abraham's seed, God came to Abraham and said, Abraham, through your seed, one of your offspring, I'm going to send a Savior who will bless all nations. Through your seed, I'll bless all nations. And Galatians tells us that seed of whom he spoke, it wasn't plural seeds. It was singular seed. Paul says, that is Christ. And then last Sunday, we looked at the promise of God to save through the Davidic covenant. God comes to King David, and he said it was at a time when King David wanted to build uh, God a house, a temple. And and God said, here's the deal, David. You're not going to build me a house. Your son will later on, but I'm going to build you a house. And through one of your offspring, I'm going to put somebody on your throne, on the throne of your kingdom that will reign not just for his lifetime, but for eternity. And in Jesus all of those promises have been fulfilled. Today we close our Advent series by taking a look at the promise of Christ coming through the prophet Isaiah. Now let me just say this before I forget to say it later. We could look at a lot of different prophets, okay? There's a lot of messianic promises about Jesus to come throughout all the prophets, many of the prophets, most of the prophets. So there's a lot of places we could go, a lot of different prophets we could look at. Just going to look at a couple places in Isaiah this morning. The promise of Christ coming through the prophet Isaiah. And we're going to connect that, some of these prophecies directly to Matthew chapter 1. Here's what I want you to take home. Through the prophecies of Isaiah, God continued, as he begun in the garden, to sovereignly orchestrate human history by foretelling the sending of his Son by divine conception in a virgin's womb to be the Savior of the world. It's almost like the promises that we've been considering over the last four weeks have gotten more specific, right? I'm going to send somebody in the garden. I'm going to send a Savior to crush Satan's head. In the Abrahamic covenant, I'm going to build a nation through you, Abraham, and one of your seed from that particular nation will bless all nations. In the Davidic covenant, there in the nation of Israel, King David. I'm going to put somebody on your throne. And that throne of David, your your heir, your offspring will reign forever, getting ever more detailed and specific. And now in Isaiah, what we're going to see is it gets real specific. Even concerning the, the nature of this one's birth. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. Where God through the prophet says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. God with us. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. This prophecy about ultimately the birth of Christ was given 700 years before his birth. Now, if you were to go back and study the book of Isaiah and and study the immediate context of, of this prophecy, there was a near fulfillment. I came across this. Maybe this will help you understand biblical prophecy. I thought this was pretty cute. How many of you remember Sesame Street and Grover, the blue guy? Okay? You remember Grover? I'm not going to do it. I'm I'm very tempted, but I will not do it this morning. Grover would have been like the camera zooms in and says, Near. And then he turns around and runs far that way, and the camera stays where it's at, and you can barely see Grover, and he says, Far. That's the idea. There was a near fulfillment in Isaiah's day that pertained to what was going on historically, there was actually a child born to Isaiah, and they named him Emmanuel, but there was a far fulfillment yet to come in Christ. And that far and future fulfillment would come only in the birth of Jesus. In Matthew's gospel, God makes it clear and unquestionable that his son would come into the world through virgin birth Matthew 1, verse 18. Matthew says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, that is in the act of marriage, the physical act of marriage, she was found to be pregnant, read it, through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. What did Joseph think? He thought she had been unfaithful to him beforehand. He thought that while they're in engagement, something must have happened for her to suddenly become pregnant. This doesn't happen. Virgins don't get pregnant. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because... This is as clear as it gets on the virgin birth, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. The word Jesus, the name Jesus means Yahweh saves. Uh, by the way, Luke's account of the angel's announcement to Mary of what was about to happen in her life, it concurs with this account in Matthew 1 over in Luke chapter 1 verse 30 and following. Here's what we read. The, the angel comes to Mary and, it says, and says to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, Mary's trying to figure out what just was said to her. And verse 34 says And Mary says to the angel, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. God foretold the virgin birth through the prophet Isaiah, and then he accomplished the virgin birth in the life of a young Jewish virgin named Mary. Now, maybe you're here and you're skeptical, you're, you're cynical. <laughs> because like you said, preacher, virgins don't get pregnant. Isn't this just outlandish to think? Well, here's the deal. If there's a God, then God, by His Holy Spirit, can impregnate a young woman and send His Son into the world to be the God-man. Here's the thing. As soon as you assume the existence of God, you assume the existence of divine and mystery. Right? So you can either not have God at all, or you can pretty easily live with the reality that He does stuff that doesn't make sense. That's what we call supernatural and divine. So I have absolutely no problem saying to you, this is exactly what happened. This is exactly what we believe. And just in case there's any question as to the connection between what Matthew and Luke tell us happened in the life of Mary and, and in the birth of, uh, concerning the birth of Christ with what we've already read in Isaiah 7, verse 14. Check it out in Matthew 1, 22 and following. Where Matthew, by the way, he's writing to Jewish believers who would have been familiar with Isaiah 7. And writing to them, he says, all this took place... The birth of Jesus. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. And in case they didn't know what that meant, he tells them, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name, Jesus, just like he was told to do. Now, not only was Jesus born by virgin birth, he was by virtue of his birth, virgin birth. Because he was born of a virgin, the seed of the Holy Spirit impregnating Mary, God, Jesus was also God incarnate, God made man, God with us. God and 100% man. You say that adds up to 200% and that don't make any sense mathematically. Nope. Once again, we're not talking about what we can understand, what we can do, what happens in humanity apart from a God who lives and reigns over all things. We're talking about what God can do and has done in history in the person of Jesus Christ. John's Gospel makes it even clearer that we're talking about a God-man. God in the flesh. John 1, verse 1. Speaking of Jesus, it says, "...in the beginning was the Word." That's Jesus. "...in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God." John describes the second person of the Trinity, God the Son as the Word of God. Later in the chapter, in verse 14, he says, and the Word, God the Son, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He he, he lived here on earth. He walked around in a human body, but in that body they could see. All who saw Him saw. The Father, Jesus said, and they could see the glory of the, of the, of the only, as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Scripture tells us over in Hebrews chapter 2 that Jesus had to be both God and man in order to be a fit and able Savior. We looked at this in our study of Hebrews some time ago now. Hebrews 2 verse 14 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, that's all of us, he himself likewise, speaking of Jesus, partook of the same things, that is flesh and blood, that through death, As a human being, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Verse 17 of that chapter says, Therefore he, Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. In order to atone for our sins, he had to become one of us. In order to to, to pay for our sins, for the sins of the world, he had to become man. And as a man, he could then, though without sin, he he could then be our perfect substitute. If he wasn't in flesh and blood, then he couldn't be truly our substitute. He wouldn't truly be like us. It wouldn't be a, 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 an, an even substitution there on the cross. Like kind for like kind. He was, though, in flesh and blood. But the second reason he had to become one of us is that he might be a faithful and merciful high priest. I don't, I don't know that I would, would agree with everything that you see in this campaign that's out there now, but, but he gets us. You've seen that campaign. He gets us. Here's the deal. He does get us. He lived as one of us. He he shared our flesh and blood. The Scripture says he was tempted in all points, like as we are, yet without sin. He said no to sin 100% of the time for me. I've never said no to sin 100% of the time. I've, I've said yes to sin a bunch, and so have you. But he perfectly obeyed God for me. So that not only through his death could he he atone for my sins, but he could give me righteousness. He doesn't just make me spiritually neutral before, before a holy God. He makes me holy before a holy God. Because he earned through his obedience holiness righteousness to give to me and to you. Colossians 1 verse 15 and also verses 19 and 20 says of Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him, verse 19... All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. All of the Godhead, I don't understand it, the fullness of God dwelt in a man named Jesus. That's why Jesus could say to to, to his hearers, if you've seen me, what did he say? You've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What a mystery. What What an awesome mystery. Where's Joe? Wave, Joe. Where'd you go? Glorious, impossible. It can't make no sense. It doesn't make sense. It's unexplainable. But this is our Savior. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says of this God-man, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power after making purification for sins. That is, after dying on the cross for me and you, Jesus, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, and today that's where He's at, ruling and reigning as Lord of all, all over all things. Advancing the kingdom of God around the world. Building His church that no one can stop. This is our Savior. He is God in the flesh. The radiance of the glory of God. The exact imprint of His nature. Made like us in flesh and blood so that He could atone for our sins. So that He could make purification for our sins. And today He sits as our Advocate, John says. He's there, Hebrew says, as our intercessor. He ever lives to make intercession for you and for me. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Pastor Josh Howerton said this, If Jesus was just a man, He could understand you, but not help you. If Jesus was only God, He could help you, but not understand you. But because Jesus was both God and man, He understands you and He can help. He can save you. He can save you. Hallelujah. What a Savior. J.I. Packer said, The more you think about this thing we call the incarnation, this reality of God through the, the womb of a virgin becoming man to save sinners like us, the more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in all of human fiction r- written all the world over is so fantastic as is this truth of the Incarnation. Humanity, hear me, humanity would never have come up with such a wonderful, fantastic way of salvation. All human religion is about try- uh, us trying to climb that mountain to God, and it's all in vain. But God's way to make us right with Him, God's gift and plan of salvation revealed in the Word of God, the Scriptures, and manifest in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus in time and space, it's all about God coming down the mountain to us and bringing salvation to us as a gift of grace in His Son that can only be received by faith, Because you see, when salvation works that way, who gets the glory? The one who takes the Christmas present from the giver? No, the one who gives the gift, amen? The one who gives the gift. You know, you hear this message. This is what we call the gospel. Uh, literally, the, that, that word means good news. You hear this message, and maybe you're tempted to think this morning, man, it's just almost too good to be true, isn't it? And I would agree. But the reality of the gospel is it's so good that it's got to be true because we would have never made it up. Why? Because we're too proud to make up a, a way of salvation where God does all the work and we with open, only open hands take a gift. That's why all human religions lack the reality of grace. Grace as does the gospel. What a Savior. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, another prophecy of Isaiah, given about Jesus, says this, for to us, a child is born to us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. A son is given, this is a son of God, son of man, son of God, He's one of us, but He's the Son of God incarnate. The government will be on His shoulders, an allusion there to that Davidic kingdom we talked about, His reign over God's kingdom for eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. But He goes on, and He will be called Wonderful Counselor. Who is your Savior? Who is Jesus today to you? Is He a Wonderful Counselor to you? He wants to be. He will be called Wonderful Counselor. You see, He was made man like we've been talking about. Therefore, he understands us, and he can help us. He can be a counselor to us in the midst of temptation, in the midst of dark days, despair, and and depression, and hard times. He has been there. He is our wonderful counselor. He's going to be called, the Scripture says, mighty God, able to save, more than able to save, because he was sinless in his life. And therefore could be on, in his death the perfect and spotless Lamb of God who through his death on the cross takes away the sins of the world, the only sacrifice, the only death of the Lamb of God that, that, that actually atoned for sins, one death for all. He would be called Everlasting Father. He rose from the dead and he lives forever. Jesus cannot die again. That's why Hebrews says he lives forever, to make intercession for us and he it also says there in hebrews because he lives forever listen he can save us how much nearly nearly to the end for about 50 years worth of your life maybe if you live to 75 maybe maybe god can keep you till then no to the uttermost that's all the way that's through all the stuff you're still going to blow in this in this life all the sin you're still going to commit there'll still be grace all the way into eternity, past your death. But for eternity, He will hold you in His grip of grace. And finally, He'll be called the Prince of Peace. You see, He is the only one who can bring peace between holy God and sinful humanity. Sinful men, sinful women, boys and girls. He is the only one who can be the Prince of Peace. Well, we've got to look at one more. Of Isaiah's prophecies. Isaiah's later prophecy. Not only did Isaiah's prophecy foretell Jesus' virgin birth, not only did it talk about his reign to come and, 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 and describe who he would be as our Savior with these four names we have just looked at, but Isaiah's later prophecy also foretold the death of Jesus, which was, which was fulfilled in Jesus' sufferings and death on the cross uh, I want you to listen as we, read, as we read through this, down to the letter. If you've been around church any time, if you've read through at any point the crucifixion account of Christ, then when you hear Isaiah 53, you start hearing stuff that happened. Descriptions of, of details in the, in the week of Christ's suffering and His death on that Good Friday. I'm, I'm going to read the whole chapter, so just hang on. I'm not going to preach the whole chapter, I'm just going to read the whole chapter. I'm going to read it fast. But listen close and fast. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, speaking again of Messiah here, Jesus, for he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom mid, men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he, was, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. We, uh, the nation of Israel saw him as cursed by God, but he was bearing their sins and their sorrows. Verse 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one, there are no exceptions, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's what happened on the cross. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Jesus makes some big defense before the governing officials that put him on the cross. No, In fact, there this passage is quoted. And like a sheep, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before it shears is silence, so he opened not. His mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked. Who did he die with? He was the man on the middle cross. Who were the men on the other crosses? Thieves. And with a rich man in his death, whose grave, whose tomb did he borrow? Joseph, a man of Arimathea, a rich man. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. This was all God's plan. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. In other words, Jesus will pay it all and Jesus will declare it is finished. And God in the resurrection will testify, yes it is, and yes he did. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many and He shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. What a powerful prophecy about our Lord's death for us. For us. Through the prophecies of Isaiah, God continued to sovereignly orchestrate human history by foretelling the sending of his Son by divine conception in a virgin's womb to be Savior of the world. And just like Isaiah foretold it, seven, eight hundred years before it happened in Bethlehem, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. And at a Bethlehem stable, God became man to save sinners. That we might be sons and daughters of the living God. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. That is what Advent is all about. That's why Christ came. And because He came and accomplished that adoption, we have hope for eternity. I've said this phrase a couple of times in this message, Hallelujah, what a Savior. Do you know there's an old hymn, Joe, some of you worship team guys? There's an old hymn called Hallelujah, what a Savior, written by a guy named Philip Bliss. Listen to these words. Uh, By the way, he's thinking about Isaiah 53 as he writes this hymn, because he begins it by saying, man of sorrows, a man acquainted with sorrows, it says in Isaiah 53. Man of sorrows, what a name, for the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Bearing shame and scoffing rude in my place, condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Guilty, vile, and helpless we. Spotless Lamb of God was he. Full atonement. Can it be? Hallelujah, what a Savior. Lifted up was he to die. It is finished, was his cry. Now in heaven, exalted high, Hallelujah, what a Savior. That is what Jesus did in His first coming. And after He died on the cross and was buried, the Scripture says, on the third day, He rose again and lives forever. Thus today, as we think about His first coming, we look forward to His sure and second coming of which the fifth verse of that hymn speaks. When he comes, our glorious king, all his ransomed home to bring. Then anew, this song will sing. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Are you longing for that day today? See, here's the deal. If you know Jesus, you're ready for that. If you really know Christ, you are longing for that day. Because the Bible says, the whole Christ by his spirit who lives in you gives you that desire. It moves your heart to love Him, though you've never seen Him. To have a joy in Christ, to rejoice in Him, that you can't even express, even though you've never put eyes on Him. The Holy Spirit does that, so so what am I telling you? I'm telling you at Christmas, you better check yourself. It's a good time to examine yourself, to see whether you're in the faith. Because if that's not what goes on in your heart, either you're a believer who's living in sin, grieving the Holy Spirit of God, or you don't know Him. You you very well could be one to whom Jesus said, you you said to me, Lord, Lord, but on the last day Jesus looks at you and says, depart from me, I never knew you. Wouldn't Christmas be an awful time to trick yourself again? To deceive yourself again? Scripture says our hearts are desperately wicked. Who Who can know it? Do you see evidence of the Holy Spirit changing your heart and your life? If not, run to Him. If you know Him today, rejoice that the Savior has come. Rejoice in your Savior. If you know Him today, and if you've not yet trusted Him, why would you wait? Man, this is a, this is, I'm telling you, this is the perfect Sunday to come to Jesus. And tomorrow will be the perfect Monday. And the next day will be the perfect Tuesday right on through. But here's the deal. You may not make it till Tuesday. Don't wait. Run to Him. J.D. Greer in an article entitled "Christmas Is for Doubters said this. Biblically speaking, if you're waiting on a resolution to all your questions before you believe, you'll never find faith. That doesn't mean faith is baseless, however. Hey, Mary and Joseph had a miraculous pregnancy, an angelic visitor, and hundreds of years of messianic prophecy to fall back on. Because these things were undeniable, Mary and Joseph found the ability to live with the unexplainable. Let me just ask you. Anybody in the room? Some of you, some of you more mature believers that have been, and and by that I mean been been here a while. That's just my nice word for old. You know, I'm real. It's a real wise way to handle that. Some of you uh, more seasoned believers have all. Has God answered all your questions? Anybody? Any takers on that? Is there anything you that that you that that you uh, that you still wonder about? There is for me. I don't have all the answers. There's things I can't explain. Things happen in this world that God hasn't told me why. And they hurt, and they're confusing. I don't understand. And sometimes we tend to use those things as our excuses for not coming to God. Well, here's the deal. What God has shown me and made certain to me is enough for me to believe Him and trust Him. And it's what we've been looking at this whole month. Hey, you're always going to have questions. And you know, this is the way I like to explain this to myself. <laughs> Sometimes I have to talk to myself. Sometimes I get aggravated with God when, I, when these things are happening that I don't like, that I can't understand. I don't know why. They're not good, so why does he let them happen? I don't know. And I get frustrated. But you don't know have to remind myself of some of you. How, how, many, how many have been parents? Yeah, a lot of us have been parents. We, all of us have observed young children with their parents. We can't even remember back. How many times as a child did you say, but, but mommy, why? And what did mommy say? Because I said so. Or because I'm the Mom. But there was more to it than that. Let's say you were three four years old, just where you could barely talk. What's another reason, Mom, that that's all you said? You know, you know the reason that's all you said? Because the reason that you required whatever it was of the child many times is way past what they can understand. I mean, if you gave them the philosophical description of why you gave them this command they couldn't get it well none of us as grown adults like this but here's the deal we're like a three-year-old compared to god and we always will be no matter how mature we get there's things we couldn't understand if he did tell us we'll understand one day we sing songs about it in the in in the sweet by and by we'll understand it one day we can't understand it now. But you know what he's shown us, Jason? He's shown us he's a good, good father. So good that to a world of sinners who were... By the way, who weren't, who weren't really... They didn't care anything about him. They didn't care about his ways. We were all living in sin and loving it. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son, born of one, born into the law... To redeem those who are under the law that they those, those rebel sinners, those enemies of God might receive adoption sons, man he's good and all that he's shown us, all the promises made hundreds, thousands of years before they came to fulfillment they happened. there's way more that you can trust that you know, that you can, that you can latch on to than there are those things you don't understand and you'll never come to faith if you have to wait for an answer. Faith means accepting what they couldn't understand based on what we can. Uh, we've got reasons to believe. We see even more prophetic fulfillment than Mary and Joseph ever did. Jesus, the script uh, we we find in the scriptures fulfilled more than 300 specific messianic prophecies during prophecies during his lifetime and hear me, the one that seals the deal is his resurrection, hello. Surest evidence. That all of this we've been talking about for the last month is true. Listen, the tomb is still empty. And here's what you can know. If Jesus had stayed dead, like if the resurrection wasn't real, then here's what you can know. Some of those Jewish leaders, some of those Roman officials, they'd have found that body. They'd have found that body, and there'd been books written about it, describing how these Christians were all liars. Here's the problem. They couldn't find the body because he rose, and he ascended, and today he lives and makes intercession at the Father's right hand. This is what we believe as Christians. If you you say, y'all are crazy, hallelujah, what a Savior, then we're crazy. But that's what you have to believe to know God. It's okay if some days you have to say, God, I believe, help my unbelief. But that is the truth. Jesus lives and is coming again, so won't you trust Him as your Savior? Won't you trust Him as your personal Savior? Won't you come to know Him today as your Prince of Peace? You see, if you don't know Him, you've been running hard your whole life. If you don't know Christ today, if you're not resting in Him today, then there is no peace in your life. There will be less troublesome days than others, but, but there's no real peace in your life, and there ever will be until your soul finds rest in Him. So run to Him today. He came just like He said He would in the fullness of time. Let's pray. Father, for the, Your faithfulness to Your Word, for your grace in repeating yourself over and over through history. For your, your goodness in spelling out details of Jesus' birth, of his life, of his death, of his resurrection. Father, what, what goodness and mercy that is. When it happened, we, we, didn't, we could see prophecy fulfilled and know God had done exactly what he said he would do. Lord as one person said the the problem with believing the resurrection of Jesus is that we have to change everything if it's true because it means Jesus is Lord. He's king. He's the boss of all things including our lives. Oh God, may someone here today who doesn't know you, someone join us by live stream who've yet, who's yet to trust you, may today be the day that they bow their knee before you, accept the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done, and in him find salvation, forgiveness, atonement for all their sins, have... Christ, give them all of his righteousness, fill their spiritual bank account to overflowing, making them rich toward God, just like you've done for me, just like you've done for so many in this room. God, that is our heart's prayer. And Lord, for the rest of us who know you, I pray that we'd rejoice this Christmas like never before, that our joy would be rekindled, that our peace would overflow. That we go into the, this afternoon and, and tomorrow with a boldness to share who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And into the new year, for the glory of the one who came, lived, died, and rose again for us. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and sing. This altar's open for you to respond however you need to this morning. If you need to know Jesus, please don't put it off another day. I'll be right here at the front, whatever your need is, as we sing. God's people said? Amen. Amen. That was a little extra verse on the end that I wasn't real familiar with. You may be seated for just a moment. Let me just draw your attention to...